0: Welcome to The Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Michael Lavers, international news editor of The Washington Blade. We'll discuss the top LGBTQ stories of 2018 throughout Latin America and the United States. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Are you an LGBTQ immigrant who's ready to become a U.S. citizen? LULAC Lambda and Aqua DC invite you to a workshop by D.C.-based immigration attorney Cameron Chong. He will discuss the application process and share common issues experienced by LGBTQ immigrants. Classes are free, so join us on Wednesday, January 23rd, from 7 to 8 p.m., or Saturday, January 26th, from 1 to 2 p.m., at the D.C. Center, located at 2014 Street Northwest, Suite 105 in Washington, D.C. For more information about these classes, visit lulaclambda.org. That's L-U-L-A-C-L-A-M-B-D-A dot O-R-G. And here's your weekly news update. As 2018 comes to a close, media industries are recognizing their Persons of the Year with lavish magazine covers, feature segments on national TV, and award ceremonies. So what about our queer Latinx community? Well, welcome to the shortest award ceremony ever. The first ever Jesse Garcia Show honors will recognize four people who went above and beyond in 2018. So grab your seats and pay close attention. First up, our Transgender Warrior of the Year. Bambi Salcedo, has been challenging public opinion and the criminal justice system, trying to get folks to pay attention to the horrible discrimination, treatment, and criminal acts against transgender Latinas here and abroad. This international advocate works as CEO of the TransLatina Coalition based in Los Angeles. Whether it be protesting outside of government facilities or unfurling a huge protest banner at the World Series this year, Bambi Salcedo's voice was heard loud and clear. Next up, a representative from the bisexual community, Emma Gonzalez. Just weeks away from her graduation, Emma survived the traumatic shooting of Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. 17 of her teachers and classmates were killed, while another 17 were shot and injured. Emma, like other students, was sad, but most of all angry that politicians and the NRA were ready to sweep this under the rug. Emma and her fellow students spoke up and America listened. They led a march on Washington, D.C. that attracted nearly a million people. But more importantly, the Parkland students' pleas for youth to register to vote were also heard. Several seats in Congress changed in the midterms because of the youth vote. Today, Emma attends college and runs her own nonprofit to prevent gun violence. Next, if you cannot find the perfect opportunity in Hollywood, create your own. Lesbian playwright, producer, writer, and creator Tanya Sarancho had a banner year on Cable's Showtime with the launch of Vida, her show about the life and times of a Mexican-American family in East L.A. that centers around women, including main lesbian characters. Tanya was a well-respected artist prior to the successful season one of Vida. In season two, she plans to have Latinas direct each episode. Last but not least, Anthony D. Romero. If you do not know this gay Latino, you may know the nonprofit he runs on a daily basis that has stopped government overreach and abuses of the LGBTQ community, immigrants, refugees, migrants, poor people, and people of color. Romero is the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union. The ACLU has sued the Trump administration 107 times, mainly on immigration cases, but it has also worked with the administration on criminal justice reform. Under Romero's leadership, he has grown its membership from 400,000 to 1.8 million members, and he grew donations from 3 million a year to a staggering 120 million in the last two years. It takes a hard-working leader to defend the rights of the most marginalized in our nation. Doesn't it feel good to know that a queer brown person is leading the charge? When the queer community picks up its newspaper in Washington, D.C., It has the opportunity to not only read about its local and national news, but original content of LGBTQ experiences around the world. One reporter leading the charge for this coverage is Michael Lavers, the international news editor of the Washington Blade. Michael has been with the paper for six years and has traveled extensively throughout Latin America to bring home the stories important to those interested in world politics and for those who emigrated from those regions and now call the District of Columbia home. The Washington Blade is the oldest LGBTQ newspaper in the United States that launched days after the Stonewall riots in 1969. Today, we have the honor of having Michael on the show to talk about the biggest LGBTQ stories in Latin America from the past year and what we can expect in 2019. I want to welcome to the show Michael Lavers.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a real privilege to talk to you.
0: Thank you. Uh, first of all, before we go into the interview, I want to thank you so much for your daily online online news reporting on Latin American issues. Uh, it's like something that you take uh, to heart, I mean, you do your stories, and you go above and beyond to get what's going on across the hemisphere into our pages here, and also in the weekly print issue. And one thing I want to lodge you is that you translate these stories into spanish
1: which is not an easy thing i not I'm sure you, you can appreciate yeah so <laughs> it's you that
0: does the translation or you? for the work? most part yeah well thank you for that i appreciate it. you get to expand <laughs> your audience that thank way you. and your work gets to be consumed by different types of readers uh so we're here to have you on the podcast to talk about what happened in 2018 for the queer latinx community and before we start off i could It seems like in 2018 we saw two different stories in the Western Hemisphere. We had Latin America seeing some historic changes Mm -hmm. in equality for LGBTQ rights while the United States regressed. They reversed course on some other communities with a lot of the transgender um, civil rights that were afforded under Obama being taken back. Mm -hmm. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, there's certainly been some positive movement in Latin America with regards to transgender issues, LGBTI issues more generally. A couple of examples. uh, In Chile, just a few weeks ago, the president, Sebastián Piñera, who's actually a conservative, uh, signed a transgender rights bill into law that had been in the Chilean Congress for many years. The thing that motivated that passage more than anything, I think, is when Daniela Vega, the uh, transgender actress from Chile, won an Oscar for um her movie i'm thinking in two languages so forgive me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i just got back from cuba yesterday yeah. the fantastic woman i was going to say yes. the she was the very first person to right. actually present and on the her, telecast the, and the movie won the oscar and i was watching it in el salvador actually and it was a very it was a huge moment for huge moment people. And so that really spurred passage of uh, the final passage of that law. And then a few months later, she actually was in Cuba, where I was on assignment covering the um, internet and every year, Mariela Castro, Mariela Castro, the daughter of Raul Castro, does the um, March, the International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia and Biphobia March. And Daniela Vega was the one of the honorees at that march. And so she was going through the streets of Havana with Mariela and So her profile certainly has increased. Yeah,
0: she went from being this breakout star Mm -hmm. for Hollywood. She's Mm -hmm. been around for a while, but in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. they're like seeing this brand new star. But Mm -hmm. she didn't stick to that. She's now like this activist that keeps popping up and trying to further the cause.
1: And she also publicly challenges opponents of transgender rights in Chile when they were debating final... When the lawmakers were debating final passage of the law, there were certain members of the Catholic Church, for example, who publicly criticized her on social media, and she responded in kind. So one could certainly not to take anything away from the activists in Chile that have been working on this issue for a long, very many years. Yes, but Daniela Vega, being Daniela Vega and the high profile that she now has after winning the After her movie won the Oscar and getting all of these awards and honors was really the impetus to pass this bill. And quite frankly, Chile wanted to look good. Yeah, which helps, too. So however you get to (laughs) from A to B, you get there. So that's one thing um, that has happened. There was a ruling in. the Inter-American Court of Human Rights in San Jose, Costa Rica in January.
0: Yeah, we started off the year, right, with this wonderful ruling that affects like almost 17 nations, correct?
1: Right, and so what it does is that this ruling recognizes not only same-sex marriage, but transgender rights, and it it stems from a case in Costa Rica, and the Inter-American Court of Human Rights has quite a bit of influence throughout the region.
0: Yeah. I got the actual countries here. Mexico, Guatemala, right, El Salvador, right. Honduras, Nicaragua, Panama, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, Barbados, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Paraguay, Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, yeah. it's A lot. A lot yeah. of and, and this this important court decision that like you said came out in January mm-hmm. sets It's the ball rolling.
1: Right. And so a lot of the countries in the region like Argentina and Uruguay already have these things in place. So countries that are really trying to figure out what to do, Costa Rica, Ecuador, Chile, many other countries, Cuba is a unique situation. They don't recognize the court. Um, There's some other countries like Venezuela for political reasons. I'm not even sure Nicaragua does at this point, given what's going on there. But um, this really set the foundation for you know these governments are bound to this ruling and so their charge is to now figure out how to implement this in Costa Rica a few weeks ago the country's uh, constitutional court said lawmakers have 18 months to implement same-sex marriage So that would take us into 2020 so yes there's been a lot of advances legal advances but there's still a lot of violence there's still a lot of discrimination even in countries like Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, Brazil, and that's a whole other story we'll get yes. into with the new president, Mexico. So, yes, while there has been progress, there, ha- there still is a lot of violence, there's a lot of discrimination, especially if you're a trans against the transgender community. There's one statistic that... Uh, transgender women in Latin America have a lifespan expectancy of like 36 years or something yes. I mean, that's horrible, horrible because of the violence and because just the situation in which they live But there's a lot of hope there's a lot of good things happening as well in Cuba where I just was there debating The new constitution that will go before Cubans in February that has a same-sex marriage amendment in it so if this passes and if voters approve it uh that paves the way for marriage equality in cuba given the history of that country from after the revolution where mariela's uncle fidel uh gay men were sent to work camps basically and yeah. the history was horrible. a lot of people
0: uh are saying that it's sort of pink washing yeah you're yes. all for lgbt rights now but back right. then you used to massacre folks that were lgbt and to this
1: day cuba's human rights record is Quite bad. Yeah. Anybody who's spent any time there will tell you that uh, journalists, including some with whom I work, have been arrested or harassed. Some of my sources are now seeking asylum in other countries. So, yes, um, Mariela, her supporters want to promote Cuba as on the vanguard of LGBTI rights. On one hand, I, you know, you can make the argument that she sparked a conversation. I just exactly. saw Havana this weekend in a neighborhood that's not a, not popular with tourists like there were signs in a mental health clinic run by the government you know hiv literature signs about promoting respect so yeah she's done some positive things cuba's hiv transmission rates have are some of the lowest in the world so there's some good things but one can't lose sight of the fact that the broader situation in cuba with regards to human rights is still awful and people, oh, Cuba is gay friendly. It's wonderful. And but what, but
0: <laughs> given the track record of this administration in the United States, mm-hmm. it was surprising to see one of your stories that you covered that Radio Marti right. now has an LGBT program. Right, right. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, it's a man named Jose Cardona, um, and he's Cuban American. And it's really interesting that Radio Marti has this LGBTI program and it's funded by the U.S. government. And there's also been some real issues I know recently with, you know, them going after George Soros with, um, I don't know the specifics of it, but I believe it has to do with the radio station's producer, owner. Mm -hmm. So anything with Cuba is complicated. Always complicated. (laughs) Right. It's people like think it's just cut and dry. It's. One of the most, comp- it's probably the most complicated country from which I report. Yeah. Good, bad, everything in between. But then you throw something like Radio Marti in, which is funded by the US government. They're trying to, they've been trying to broadcast into Cuba. I think 10% of the Cubans can even listen to it. So that's a whole other debate one can have. Yeah. About whether it's effective or not. But they're, um, he has this program, and he was—he's a filmmaker in Miami, and he did some films about Anita Bryant and the LGBT rights movie. He's straight, actually, which is even more interesting. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, I've spoken with him a few. T- I mean, he's—he knows his stuff. Yeah. He knows Cuba obviously, but he certainly has a point of view. And talking about Cuba, anybody you talk to has their point of view, whether that's you know anti-Cuban government. Whether that's totally pro Cuban government, whether that's totally pro Mariela Castro, anti Mariela, it runs the gamut. So it's very complicated. Very complicated, situation. and that makes our job even more difficult. <laughs> we have a news, we have a media partner in Cuba. They're an independent, they're an independent website, and they cover not only the LGBTI community, but they cover other minority groups like Afro Cubans, religious minorities. So we've been with them for about a year now, and. They give us a lot of content that we would never have, which is great. So we get perspectives from not only Havana, they're based about three hours outside of Havana, but they cover the whole country. So we're able to work with them to get content from them, and we do this with other people as well. So that's one of the ways we can further cover the region. We actually have people on the ground who can... Tell us what's going on, and then pitch. You know, they'll send us articles. And we just, you know, we link them, and I publish them in Spanish. And mm-hmm. so, something I'm quite proud that well, we do. I just want to
0: know, how did you did you have to do a lot of convincing to get the blade to have an international desk? I because you you not only do Latin America, you do all over the world. Yeah, it's, but it's just amazing that they they're able to send you down there. It's a, it's must yeah, cost I, a lot
1: yeah we're first of all it's the work that we do in Latin America is funded by a grant so that's oh, good. that's something that I'm very grateful for so we're able to use that money to travel to the region we are able to support our correspondence with that we have correspondents now in Tijuana we have one in El Salvador we have a contributor in Guatemala Cuba as I said we have somebody in Chile we have somebody in Trinidad and Tobago and so we're always looking oh we have somebody in Brazil also Sao Paulo yeah so we're able to pay them we're able to again have those folks on the ground so like when something like the election of Jair Bolsonaro happens we can get somebody we we have somebody on the ground who can cover that if something like the migration situation in Tijuana you know the migrants on the border of Tijuana we have somebody there can go there and talk to people and same thing with El Salvador I mean, mm-hmm. there's a community there so we have somebody and we have somebody in Chile as well so
0: one of the things that I appreciate is that you interviewed openly gay elected officials mm-hmm. being elected up and down the Central America and South America
1: yeah it's pretty um,
0: Costa Rica just got their very first
1: um, they got their first openly gay Assemblyman, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Enrique Sanchez, who right. took office and, in May. And we've interviewed Sandro Moran in Guatemala. I've interviewed um, I've interviewed people in Colombia. I was there for their national elections in May. And so I followed a trans woman, Tatiana Pineros, who was running for Senate. So she invited me to cover her last election night i was at her the last election event and she
0: came really close but she wasn't able to ride. Right. and i was at her big
1: yeah. i was at her election party that night and yeah and but uh, mauricio yeah. toro right he's in bogota he was able to clinch his um office angelica lozano i've known for you we've interviewed her many she broke her campaign to me actually <laughs> and i was on a trip in bogota a couple years ago and i knew her from my moderated a panel she was on in North Carolina a couple years a few years ago So she let me break the news that she was running for Senate in Colombia So that was pretty cool. I was, was very excited about that And yeah. you know, it's always a little nerve-wracking even yeah. to go into the capital here But then you're doing it in a whole other country in like Colombia or like, you know oh, with Mauricio We talked on the phone and with the man in um, Costa Rica We talked on the phone Sandro Murano interviewed her in her office in Guatemala it's always a little nerve-wracking, you know, and Spanish isn't my first language either. So yeah. it's like, okay, what if I mess up? Or But they're very gracious and they're doing very important, you know, they're breaking ground and they're doing really important things. So and, I think it's important for us to... There's
0: organizations them. here that you follow, that you've been following, like the Victory Fund, that's actually sure. having actual conferences. Right. In the right. capitals of these Central American nations to get people thinking about running and becoming those leaders to change. The conversation. Yeah. And I've,
1: I've worked with the Victory Institute, um, Honduras and Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic in particular. Uh, what I do sometimes when I'm covering these conferences, I do like a media one on one type workshop, not telling them what to say necessarily. But, but what to expect. Right. Just, you know, getting them used to the fact, getting them used to, you know, working with press. So, you know, it's very basic. Again, I'm not an activist. so. Mm-hmm. My job is not to tell them this is what you say, but my job is to give them a sense of what it's like to actually do an interview with the reporter, you know, we break them down into groups and, you know, give them a, you know, you're going to be speaking at a press conference about a transgender rights bill tomorrow at the Capitol and you know designate a spokesperson and then i'm going to interview you it's real basic yeah so i think people find that helpful because there's such a lot of these people have such bad experiences with press in their countries and you know to kind of work with them and show a that people care b to show them this is an opportunity for you um and i've actually gotten some really good sources out of out of these trainings, so it's a win-win for everyone, and then I'm there to cover the event. I was just at one of their events in Honduras a few months ago, and I interviewed a group of um, gay act- LGBT activists from Nicaragua who were able to get out of the country in spite of all of the turmoil going on. And you know, I sat down with them at lunch, and we did a whole hour-long interview with- about the situation, not using their names because I could because of the at danger, risk, but. They were comfortable enough to share their stories with me, and it was, you know, what they told me was horrifying, just the situation. But our readers, I think, need to know this, because I think in D.C. we're so often isolated in our own little bubble of, you know, like, say, like uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer met with Donald Trump the other day, and it turned into a shouting match, and we forget that there's a whole another, there's a whole world outside of D.C., and that includes Latin America, and many people in our you know many people here in D.C. come from these countries. So, if that's you know, it makes me very happy that we're able to give our readers, especially those folks who might be from Central America, Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico, whatever you know, information about their own countries in a way that they can read it in their own language. And it, I'm really happy that we're able to do that.
0: One of the biggest stories, of course, is the asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. And you were able to interview some? Uh,
1: Yeah, I would. um, And my reporter in Tijuana has also more recently. uh, I was in Honduras in July um, Mm -hmm. in the hometown of Roxana. Not the hometown, but the last place where Roxana Hernandez, the trans woman who was killed in ICE custody. was Back in May? Back in May, right. And just, you know, it was important. And I'd been there before, but it was important to sit down with activists and just talk about her. First of all, the impact of her death, but secondly, to understand a little bit more about why people are leaving, and mm-hmm. so having that on the ground
0: for some background. Yeah, Roxana was an HIV positive immigrant who was detained by ICE mm-hmm. and um, died in their custody. Mm-hmm. Um, an autopsy later revealed that she was beaten right. before she de- um As mm-hmm. a as a result, she was um had gone through some complications with her. what she was going through with her health but she mm-hmm. was also beaten right and this led you to go down there and talk yeah, to and her
1: the case had already you know the case had become fairly public you know fairly well known at that point and as the migrant caravans were starting to come out of Central America it was important to go back there I had been to El Salvador I was there for the elections in February um, and periodically, you know, I'm, you know, it wasn't, it was important for us to go back and just to see what was going on. So we, I worked with my colleague in San Salvador. I went to Honduras and met with the activists, and then I went to Mexico City, where a lot of these migrants are seek are finding refuge. Some of them are choosing to seek asylum in Mexico because. For a variety of reasons, Trump's immigration policy, they have more access to resources in Mexico City. It's a place where they might have relatives, a whole host of reasons. So I was able to connect with one of these refugee, one of these groups that's helping the migrants come out of Mexico City, coming into Mexico. And I met this gay man from San Pedro Sula who fled after his friend was raped and killed in front of him. And what he told me just, it breaks your heart. You know, yes. having him describe this to me just very casually sitting in a park in Mexico City and I mean he was about 23 I think and had experienced all of this trauma he'd been rejected by his family for being gay his father beat him and then he had to endure what he endured watching his friend get killed by gang members basically and then fleeing it describing this, the ordeal it took for him to get out of Honduras to Mexico City so it's again you know we can have all these political conversations here in washington but it you really have to humanize these situations so talking to this man going to the border of um on that trip i flew to the I flew to phoenix and reported along the border uh, mexico arizona and california and talking with the activists who are in this these areas just you know what's this mean for the community here and then going to Tijuana, interviewing activists, and then I ended that trip by going to a, um, interviewing the manager of a gay club in Mexicali, which is about half a mile from the U.S. border, you know, because you kind of just need to get the flair of, and it was 115 degrees in the desert in that trip, it was horrible. Yeah. But, <laughs> don't go to Mexicali in July, it's awful, <laughs> it's awful, it was a hun- but you know, I walked in and walked out. Yes and I had no problem I drove through ice you know border patrol checkpoints outside San Diego you know that really highlights your privilege if you're an undocumented immigrant from Honduras and you smuggle you know you get into the U.S. with the coyote or whatever you don't have that privilege and you're doing it in 115 degree heat so kind of just those experiences as well which I try to work into the articles as well and I do videos and I did a, I had a GoPro on my car and I actually recorded the
0: checkpoint whole journey yeah. checkpoint
1: going through the checkpoint because I really want to just show people what this is like you yes. know when you're in the middle of the mountains in a 115 degree heat and then all of a sudden you see a border patrol checkpoint and I want people to see that you know videotaping the um the San Isidro border checkpoint just showing people what that looks like and so that's something we try to do also
0: what's so sad about Roxana's case is that there was trans groups that already knew that she was being detained Mm -hmm. um, that were trying to get assistance to these um, transgender prisoners being held in in ICE Um, one group in particular trans queer Pueblo in Phoenix Phoenix, Mm -hmm. was very active in trying to get supplies or assistance trying to connect them to their family members to say they're okay, they're in the United States Mm -hmm. I got to visit with them when I went to a convention in July in Phoenix. And it was just amazing. I think you were there
1: right around the same time I was. I think you were there. It was just amazing. That little
0: house that they have on the outskirts. a very
1: working class part of Phoenix. And you
0: walk in,
1: and it's basically
0: rooms of art. Yeah. of, Of a kitchen where they provide meals. You, they don't charge anything but you you're asked to leave a donation because it, mm-hmm. it's like a cooperative and then right. in the backyard yep. they have this makeshift stage with christmas lights show you know just to it's almost like if the club if they can't go into a club and be accepted they created their own club yeah
1: and you find that throughout the region too. and, in, and it yeah. was
0: beautiful yeah. the the performances there and all that money that was being raised, that was being donated, was going to help these individuals. Tell us about your story yeah, with them.
1: Yeah. Um, they were one of the many people that I had been connected with. And I forget the person's name who runs it. And I feel I'm, I feel terrible yeah. for not remembering his name. But, but trans group. Yeah. I, I spent about an hour at that house when I was in Phoenix. And uh, they just, you know, we just sat around a table and had a conversation about what their, their work. And it was right around, it was a few weeks before the Senate race in Arizona. And at that time, if you turned on the television, you just saw all of these horrible ads about, you know, I don't, I don't use this word in my reporting, but, um, uh, oh, you could, um, Dagoberto Bailon. Thank you so much. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Um, And he's um, from Mexico himself. Um, So you would turn on, so you would turn on the television in Arizona and you would see these horrible ads you know saying
0: they went there they went all the way there
1: illegal immigrants are invading our country and then they show like pictures of gang members and like cocaine and it was horrible and this is what everybody in arizona was watching like in the morning newscast and so that was the backdrop against which they were doing this work and then of course it was around you know president trump's zero tolerance immigration policy and the, my, the children being separated from their parents was still an issue, so um, so just talking with them during you know all of this, you could feel the pain that they were ex- suffering as a collective and as a community, but there was also hope and defiance in that as well, and that was the takeaway that I took from that meeting. There was a woman there who had, was undocumented from Guadalajara she's a trans woman and she had been detained in Eloy for the detention center in Eloy, yes which is quite notorious for the way that people are treated and i drove out there it's in the middle of the desert again it's 110 degrees it was it was pretty frightening to be out there and they it's deliberately really far away so um you can kind of understand you know people feeling isolated and feeling vulnerable and it it was just a terrible thing to see and um but they're still trying to do what they can to not only support the migrants who are coming through the desert let's say or coming into the u.s but to advocate on their behalf and whether that's you know they protest or have actions or however they want and more positive you know like the performances and things like that it was real they were really inspiring i must say just yeah, to sit, and, i felt like it, just to listen to them it, they, we, it did the interview in spanish as well which yeah. i think added a more added another dimension to it but it was just wonderful to sit there and listen to them share their stories with me and you know they're in pain certainly yeah. with everything that's. but going there's on.
0: just some beautiful way of where they welcomed everyone that night. Sure, And sure. it was a beautiful summer night. You could just imagine July being hot and stuff, but it was a beautiful night. Mm-hmm. There was like at least 40 chairs surrounding this stage. Chairs that mm-hmm. uh, didn't go together, but there were a line like a little theater. Uh-huh. And um, the, the real special performance was that night was a, a young, young child that was performing drag probably for the first time Wow! to Ariana Grande's. <laughs> of course, she's universal. I mean, right? She's universal. <laughs> no, no tears left to cry. And what I loved yeah. about it is because this child was performing the song and you're supposed to be lip syncing, but he kept trying to hit the notes when she, Ariana <laughs> and it just it was very endearing to the audience. Sure. So much sure. more money was earned by trying to hit those notes. Because it's authentic. It's authentic. It's authentic, And it's what that group of of people in trans-queer bubble showed us that night, that they were authentic and they were trying to raise money for a good cause. Yeah,
1: it's so important what they do and um, any support that... If we can just you know if we can highlight them in our reporting that you know we're happy to because you know they need all the help they can get and yeah they're serving a very vital role so any way we can do that is you know and they're just wonderful people too yeah.
0: one last thing sure um, um, the time magazine person of the year journalists the journalist. how did that make you feel
1: I was glad I was very happy to see that and I've written about Khashoggi um, again based on my experience traveling around the world and working with my my colleagues say in cuba that are threatened by just because of what they do this administration as far as i'm concerned has no credibility to talk about human rights or anything um based on their record here and i make no secret of how i feel about that having and again i just came back from cuba yesterday and um yeah that you know they you know they issue the trump administration issues all these statements about oh, we support human rights we support it's bullshit to be perfectly honest and yes. the world knows this and it's almost as though they're given the the trump administration by its actions or in the case of Khashoggi, their inaction is giving license to people to target journalists to target anybody that is fighting for human rights and so i was actually quite happy to see that that was their choice and I think it sends a powerful message as well that um, about what's going on right now and in the world the yeah. world is watching as I always say
0: so um, how can folks get access to your articles where can they follow you
1: sure I would say uh, log on to Washingtonblade.com. we have a Los Angeles paper also uh, Los Angeles recently we started we made a Spanish language news tab under the international heading on the on the DC washington Perfect. blades website it was a lot easier than I thought so <laughs> we did it here in like five minutes so great we're starting to organize all of our Spanish language coverage whether that's you know from our various sources LA already has a Spanish language tab so that's one way folks can follow us uh, follow us on Twitter Facebook I have a personal Facebook page Michael K Lavers where I post everything related to the work that I do, whether that's Facebook live videos, say from Puerto Rico or from Cuba or whatever, um, just snapshots of the work we're doing just to again, really, I, if anything, I try to show what's, you know, I really try to show as much as I can what's going on in a particular place where I happen to be reporting and I try to give the broader context. Because all of these things are—they're hap- not happening in a vacuum. No. They're happening against the broader struggle for human rights, or in the case of the United States, they're happening against the policies of the Trump administration that obviously have been quite harmful to not only our community but you know people who are undocumented, the Im- immigrants, um, women—you name it. So we really need to put all of this into a context, and that's what I really hoped, and that's what I try to do. But those, there's many ways people can read us. So we're always on social media. I tweet in Spanish and English all the time.
0: Um, what stories are you working on now? And what can we... What do you, what do you have? Any predictions for 2019?
1: <laughs> oh, Lord, I have no idea. Um, I just but, sat down with somebody at ICE this morning, actually. Mm-hmm. So you'll see that probably tomorrow. Talking about treatment of transgender inmates. So that was a very interesting conversation, to say the least. Yes. And I'm, I, I thank them for making the the time. Yeah, exactly. And it was their idea, actually. Oh, so yeah. i So you were invited. I'm okay. very much appreciative of that. So that's. What my, other stories are you planning on um, working on? I'm hoping to go back to Mexico and El Salvador and Guatemala early next year to follow up on the migration situation. Mexico has a new president. El Salvador has presidential elections in February. Uh, Cuba is going to be very interesting with the whatever happens with the, the Constitution. constitution. Um, yeah, and then just stuff pops. I think Brazil also. And will they're, be a very, they're, they're very xenophobic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, Trump, the, the Trump of the jungle, they're calling him, which yeah. um, he takes office on January 1st. And so. there's a lot of very scared people in Brazil right now for... I would think are pretty obvious reasons with his statements and just the way that he has uh, responded to the community. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Bolsonaro once he takes office. And then you know I've been covering the Colombia, I've been covering Colombia. I'd like to go to the caribbean because there's a lot of things going on in the caribbean english-speaking caribbean right now Mm -hmm. and then puerto rico which i continue to follow after the aftermath of hurricane maria
0: and you did a wonderful job covering (laughs) the the recovery efforts and waves ahead yeah which did um they're doing the lord's work yeah for sure rebuilding there's so much need on that island still lgbt people rebuilding people's homes In marginalized communities which include lgbt and they were
1: marginalized to begin with and then this hurricane came and they just didn't make situations worse and it's far from ideal so i imagine we'll be continuing to cover that carmen Yulín cruz is potentially running for governor of puerto rico the mayor of san juan she's very lgbt friendly she um makes and it's fun covering her criticizing Trump. <laughs> um so we'll see what happens with that. But all of the again all of these issues are connected in some way and you know we have the opportunity to show our readers what's going on in the region and um give voice to people that really need a voice and so we're certainly going to continue to do that but We'll see what happens. And then with whatever happens with the Trump administration as well, because that certainly has a huge impact on the region. Direct impact. Exactly. So lots well, of things to look forward to. Well,
0: I want to thank you so much for being on the show. And My I want to wish you safe travels. Thank you. Mr. Lavers. Thank you so much.